This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. That's the agenda, and so let's start with COVID-19. And let me just mention that um, I'm kind of disappointed with our president's attack on the World Health Organization. It may have stutter-stepped a little bit and not been as great as we would have liked in handling this COVID-19 thing. But in my experience, there's no more better relationship. There's no better relationship between the United States and an international body than with the World Health Organization. Uh, our CDC people are, you know, over there all the time, and uh, it's kind of bothers me that we're sort of backing away at a time that what we really seem to need in the world is global leadership, not retrenchment. Right. Well, we've got a couple of items that we're going to talk about uh, in the in this topic, but uh, first, let's take a look at at the numbers that we're uh, talking about in terms of uh, the COVID uh, situation. Uh, so you can uh, you can see here that. Uh, global cases are over three uh, three million uh, deaths, uh, two hundred thirteen thousand, and and you can uh, see the, uh, the the steep climb in cases from uh, March through April. A lot of countries have been uh, leveling off, uh, but it's uh, it's still a, uh, a dramatically uh, catastrophic case uh, oh, yeah. as far as the global situation. The United States continues to lead uh, the world in cases. Uh, we're, we just passed a million cases today, uh, so that's uh, that's uh, on our minds as we monitor the uh, the scope of. Just uh, leave of, that up for just a second, Pat. If you look at look at France and Italy and Spain and the mm-hmm. UK, they're all in the twenty some thousands, and then look at Germany, six thousand. Uh, Germany has population that's equal to or larger than all of those other countries in Europe, and yet their mortality rate is way way low, and sure. it's same same as us. Uh, I think with they, New York City has had more than twice as many deaths as Germany. Yeah, and you're I right. The uh, population of Germany and France are, are not too far apart, yet uh, Germany's uh, death uh, yeah. numbers are about a, a quarter of what France is. And that's leadership and early testing. And, yeah. they, and they have opened back up their schools and a lot of the restaurants and things like that. So we'll see if the, how that keeps going. Let's take a quick look at the United States. As I mentioned, a a million cases today and deaths have uh, surpassed 57,000. You can see on the CDC map here, uh, the relative spread uh, across the country uh, from the East Coast uh, across the Rust Belt into the Midwest. Uh, Florida, Georgia, uh, Texas, uh, a large number of cases uh, for some reason. uh, Colorado's in there. Yeah, Colorado's in there, and then uh, we we see um, that the cases in in the more rural states uh, seem to be picking up, as uh, has been uh, feared. In Tennessee, uh, we're up to uh, 9,900 cases as of today. Uh, that was an increase of 251 since yesterday, so uh, we're likely to pass 10,000 cases uh, infections. Uh, tomorrow, 184 deaths. You can see the layout in the uh, the map from the State Department of Health. 
And here's a, a statistical breakdown of the, the, the top uh, counties, uh, Nashville, Davidson County with uh, 2,338 confirmed cases, 25 deaths. And you can see where the other counties, Memphis, Shelby County, uh, the other big one in Tennessee, but uh, the, uh, the numbers are going up in the rural areas. You know, Pat, uh, looking at those statistics with Recover, I, I think it's important to note that the World Health Organization's issued a statement about the status of people who've recovered and basically saying that there is no current evidence that people who have recovered from COVID-19 have any antibodies that are protected from a second infection. Yeah. So if that's the case, it doesn't mean you get it once and you're, you're immune forever. And that's going to be a huge difference if some of the folks who had it once end up getting it again. I think a lot of people were banking on uh, the antibody test to show people who would be somewhat Im immune or uh, bulletproof. Yeah, uh, or to even being... taking, taking the antibodies from those that have had it and injecting it into folks that uh, were getting it or something. I guess. Right. Uh, under topic one here on talking about uh, COVID, we're also going to talk about the uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or the WIV as it's uh, known. That's the Chinese lab at the center of this uh, coronavirus controversy as to uh, as to where um, where the uh, the infections uh, originated. And um, we're going to uh, tee up another slide here, uh, Dick, and and uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, yeah, I think about I, I'm not a not a medical specialist by any means, but I, my understanding is that this is the only level four, which is the top uh, level institute virology center in China, where they can deal with the most dangerous and and uh, virulent types of of uh, patholo pathogens, mm -hmm. and it's in it's in Hubei province, which is uh, kind of center east so it's surrounded by the rest of china and the yangtze river runs right through the city and my understanding is that uh, the chinese are very upset with us coming up with some theories about where this virus began and one theory which i think is very unlikely is that it was created at the wuhan institute of virology as part of research that the Chinese were conducting in a biological warfare vein. Mm -hmm. now, there's no evidence that that's the case. And in fact, uh, I think the scientific evidence show that, that the virus uh, does not have any indications of having been externally tampered with. So a second possibility is that they, they got a copy of this virus from they're in, they're in, uh, in Wuhan and took it to the lab to study it and somebody there got affected and took it out and then it spread. Yeah. And that's plausible, but there's no evidence. It has not been verified that that's the case. Chinese have put out, one of your Wolf Warrior guys we'll talk about later, have put out the idea that the United States Army created this virus and took it to China. Yeah, that's uh, created quite a lot of uh, friction uh, between China and the United States. 
that uh, we talked about last week and, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in the uh, one of our upcoming topics uh, in a few minutes. One thing I'll mention is that uh, uh, we try to uh, let people know what good uh, resources are and and uh, avoid fake news. Uh, one, one recommendation uh, that I would have is uh, to take a look at the Axios China newsletter. That's A-X-I-O-S. They have a whole series of newsletters and uh, the one on China from uh, April 22nd has uh, a really good report on this Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, issue. Let's press on uh, to North Korea, uh, Dick. Uh, another week of uh, interesting intrigue as to what's going on with the dear leader. Well, we still don't know what we don't know, I think, is what it boils down to, Pat. Uh, we had these intel reports last week that uh, something um, serious was going on with the health of the supreme leader. Uh, he has not been seen, although I think the last few days the North Koreans have put out some indications that he's okay. But again, nobody's seen him. And so there's now speculation right. that's coming up. Well, if, if something happens to him, what, what will be the leadership of the future? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the, there, there was an added piece of the puzzle, uh, a, uh, uh, a luxury armored train that he's been known to travel in turned up at uh, his uh, luxury compound in the city of uh, Wonsan on the uh, Sea of Japan. And uh, that, uh, that fueled uh, speculation that he was well, although uh, I, I wouldn't come to that conclusion just by spotting that, that train at uh, that compound. Well, there have been, been, what, three uh, kind of major events that, that have happened, and, and he hasn't been appearing at any of those. So that's uh, very unusual for him not to have been there, for example, right. the anniversary yep. of his grandfather and that kind of thing. For sure. Well, there's so, your, your fam yeah. first family, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, an interesting tree, to be sure. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the potential for succession. And, you know, even if he, uh, he comes through this uh, healthy and, and we're, still, we're still not sure what his condition is, uh, President Trump made some comments that uh, he, he knew what was going on, but at his uh, press conference uh, yesterday, which was uh, Monday, uh, he he didn't let on much, much more than he knows uh, and wishes him well. But uh, taking a quick look at, at the succession from the founder of North Korea, which is uh, known as the DPRK, the Democratic Republic of uh, Korea, um, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, yeah. uh, the, the founder was Kim Il-sung. Uh, in the upper left-hand corner, you can see a, a, a superimposed picture of him and his uh, son, who was his successor, Kim Jong-il, um, who passed away, uh, I think, about, uh, what, 10 years ago, leading to the, uh, the uh, succession of Kim Jong-un, the, the current leader of North Korea, who has various titles, including chairman of the, uh, the Workers' Party. But... Uh, uh, from there, we don't know exactly which direction things could go. There's speculation that Kim Yo Jong, uh, Kim Jong Un's sister, would be in line to succeed if they continue with the uh, the family dynasty. Um, well, the Kims, the Kims basically have run run Korea since it was a, North Korea since it was established in 1948, yeah. and uh, they've all been 
nail kims so far. Right. So whether that will hold or not, I mean, the, the, the fellow to the left on your screen of Kim Jong-un is, is very young. And Kim himself is rumored to have had, had to have children, but they would also be very young. Right. So people are speculating that the lady on the far right, Kim Jo, Kim Kim Yo Young, is probably the front runner you know, to take over. Yeah, uh, mentioned. Uh, that, don't you? What's that? You have another slide that shows. Yeah. Her, yeah. Before we uh, go to that, I just want to mention uh, that. Uh, Kim Young Nam, uh, the gentleman on the left-hand side of the uh, uh, the main level there. The happy was, face. Yeah, he uh, he's no longer around. He was uh, assassinated by uh, Kim Jong Un at an airport with uh, a nerve agent that uh, some young ladies who were uh, hired or coerced uh, to deliver that into his face while he was standing at an airport and. And he died from uh, from exposure to that nerve agent, so he's uh, he's no longer around. He was a half brother. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, Kim Jong uh, Young uh, is believed to be uh, the primary uh, successor in line. She's uh, a full sister. Kim Jong Un was educated uh, in Switzerland, where where Kim Jong Un was uh, was educated, and she's seen uh, here at uh, at the Peace House with uh, the leader of North Korea and South Korea at a meeting in the DMZ uh, a couple of years ago, and also uh, pictured at the Seoul Olympics where she was standing behind Vice President Mike Pence who represented the United States. And he was not enthusiastic as you can see <laughs> when, when the North Korean delegation was introduced. Now, yeah, it's gonna be an interesting development. A dictatorship that has nuclear weapons and nobody knows which way they're going to go. So, right. buckle your seat belts. Right, for sure. Okay, Israel and the pending annexation of parts of the uh, the West Bank. Um, the uh, the lead to that story this week was a report that uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was uh, uh, reported to have said that in a couple of months from now. He was confident that the pledge would be honored, and he was referring to a green light from Washington to annex parts of the West Bank as part of the uh, President Trump uh, peace plan that was announced uh, back in uh, in January. Well, I think the important part of, of that that comes out is that Netanyahu is feeling sufficiently empowered to make statements like that because it looks like he's cut a deal with his arch rival, Benny Gatz, uh, who is Gatz's party is in coalition, or sort of a blue-white coalition, but Netanyahu's Lehut party and the other parties have been unable to come up with a, a satisfactory agreement, but it looks like now they finally have. And there's a guy named Amir Peretz, who's the Labour Party chair. He has uh, agreed to throw in with Benny Gatz's party and allow Netanyahu and make a sort of a grand coalition of the three parties so that Netanyahu would continue to serve as prime minister. And that would basically give him 18 more months in which he could push vigorously for his agenda on all things Palestinian and Israeli. So um, it's going to be a tough time for the Palestinians, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's just uh, provide a little background and context. Uh, and on the slide, uh, you can uh, appreciate the history uh, since the late 1940s of the conflict between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, uh, dealing with uh, dividing that uh, that land that both believe they have uh, uh, a reason to expect to be uh, their own, uh, starting with the uh, first Arab-Israeli war in the late uh, 1940s. The Six-Day War in 1967, which was decisive in, in uh, adjusting the borders uh, from the, uh, uh, the what was called the Green Line or the original uh, partition, uh, Israel won control of Gaza, West Bank, and Sinai, and uh, that uh, set off the beginning of settlements. There was another war between the Arabs and Israelis in 1973, the Yom Kippur War. And then uh, since then, there's been a series of uh, attempts to bring peace between the parties, probably the most successful being the uh, Camp David Accords in 1978. Jimmy Carter uh, hosted uh, the Egyptian president and the Israeli prime minister, uh, who signed uh, uh, agreements. Uh, Dick, where, where were you about that time? 1978, I had just come back from uh, Singapore and was in the, in the United States. So working so I, I on imagine, Europe, I imagine focused on European affairs. So I really you know, was more worried about the Soviet Union than I was about Israel. Yeah, but I, get, I, I bet the State Department was buzzing in those heady days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those were exciting times. And uh, the uh, probably the next uh, most significant agreement was the uh, Oslo Accord, uh, signed in 1993 between Prime Minister Rabin and and Minister uh, Chairman Arafat of the Palestine Liber Liberation Organization, uh, that allowed for a plan to bring a Palestinian self-government. In 2005, Israel withdrew from Gaza. Um, they have since annexed uh, the Golan Heights. Um, and in, in uh, the earlier this year, there was the announcement of the, the Trump peace plan. Let's just uh, take a, a quick look at uh, what we're talking about here in terms of geography. Um, and the first two left and center uh, maps are uh, similar depictions. You can uh, be careful though in what uh, maps you choose because <laughs> the, uh, the designations, the nomenclature, the lines, uh, are sure to irk somebody. It's it's sort of like calling the uh, the Persian Gulf the Arabian Gulf, or vice versa, depending on on who uh, who you're uh, talking to. You could get some pushback. But uh, the center map is from the World Factbook. Uh, the Central Intelligence Agency puts out a World Factbook that contains uh, maps that the U U.S. recognizes. Um, so those are some depictions of uh, of the territory that we're. Uh, we're talking about. You know, one of the things, Pat, that I think that for, for most Americans, uh, Israel is a very small country. Yes. Uh, if you go back to that previous slide, for example, uh, you can see where Tel Aviv is on the left-hand side in the middle, and, and could go from Tel Aviv down to Gaza is maybe 40, 50 miles. So you can go from Tel Aviv to the West Bank and you know, you're, look at, you're looking at about 25 miles. It's uh, really small. So yeah. when you have adversaries in various places and they're so close nearby, you don't have a lot of wiggle room. No, now, that's... Up, up at the top in the Golan Heights, I mean, that's a, a, a higher topography. And the Syrians would put their 
artillery up there and shell into Israel with rockets and artillery. So. Right. Yeah, I uh, my only time in uh, Israel, uh, Dick, was in the 70s. I was a submariner stationed in Italy, and I had to board the USS Memphis in uh, near near Tel Aviv. So we flew into Tel Aviv, and uh, in just uh, an hour, a couple hours, we we drove up to Jerusalem, and it really struck me that the the distance from the sea to Jerusalem was was not very significant. Yeah, um, I think it was around 19. Oh, I would say I would say 88, 89. I was uh, on a quote, fact-finding trip to Israel. We had some issues and I was in charge with trying to settle them, but we, we went to Gaza. And uh, as we got close to Gaza, we picked up an Israeli military escort and they drove us to the border and the guy who was the, the captain who was in charge of that Israeli team uh, spoke exceptionally good English. And I remember saying to him, hey, your English is, is excellent. Where did you learn your English? And he said, I grew up in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and then we uh, went into Gaza and picked up uh, a different kind of export, but they were extremely gracious and hospitable to us. But that intifada was going on in the Israelis. If there was any indication that somebody was doing something that they shouldn't do or a house was being used by terrorists, they just demolished the whole thing. So uh, it was icy times. Well, here's, uh, here's the laydown of uh, contentious uh, issues in the West Bank. Uh, the left hand, you can see settlements, uh, the uh, pre-1967 uh, pre ceasefire line, uh, the West Bank barrier um, to the uh, left of, of that uh, uh, illustration. Um, and in the center, you can see what is proposed in the Trump peace plan. Uh, on the left as well, another depiction of the Trump peace plan. And and basically it's uh, a uh, an agreement to uh, to do some land swaps. Uh, you can see the uh, areas uh, on the, the right hand uh, map, the, the green areas that would be turned over to the Palestinians. Uh, the blue areas would be annexed uh, by uh, the Israelis, uh, areas within the, the West Bank. Um, and, you know, one, one of the, uh, the issues here, uh, Dick, is that the Palestinians have rejected this peace plan from the very beginning, even before it was announced in January. Yeah. Uh, they didn't participate in the uh, the negotiations. Uh, there were a couple of conferences um, in which uh, Mr. Jared Kushner, who was the key mover behind the peace plan, uh, organized um, countries, Arab countries in the Gulf. They got together and they talked about uh, providing money to uh, uh, helped the Palestinians, and the Palestinians really had the, had none of it at that point. So what uh, what has gone on in terms of the proposed peace plan on the part of uh, the United States and Israel uh, really would be a, a unilateral move on the part of Israel uh, without regard to the Palestinian position. Yeah, and it's uh, the Palestinians basically, as you say, were not involved in making this deal. And there's no effort that I'm aware of among the Palestinians to let's accept this, let's get this thing and, and move on. Uh, right. And President Trump has said, well, you know, this is kind of your last best shot. So you guys better take it because it's a good deal. Uh, they don't think it is. Okay, well, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu is 
himself in, in kind of political uh, interesting waters uh, has has said that a couple of months we're we're going to see uh, something happening there. So yeah. on to uh, back back to China, uh, Dick, and and let's talk about uh, going going to the movies. We can. Uh... <laughs> hey, before you go to this movie, uh, I have become a fan of although now the seasons of Fauda, which is an Arabic word that means chaos. Yeah, but Fauda's on Netflix, and basically this is the third season. So I would urge you not to just start with this one, but go back to the beginning because it evolves. But this is an Israeli counter-terrorist police operation, military operation, and these guys are battling against the Hezbollah and the Hamas and whoever else is happening. So it's, and it's set in the Middle East, shot in Israel. So it's it's a uh, think very authentic in terms of how it's laid out and what's going on. Well, you know, we just had the uh, the last episode of Homeland, which uh, ran eight seasons. And Homeland, uh, it began the first season with um, a U.S. Marine who was being held prisoner yeah. uh, for a very long time. Was eight years, I think. Right? He was supposed to be held. Uh, a very long time. I think I think I believe it was Afghanistan by the Taliban. And um, he was returned, and that's that kicked off uh, eight seasons uh, that he that evolved into other stories. Uh, uh, but uh, the premise for Homeland was actually uh, an Israeli production yeah. of the soldier who had been held and then returned. Well, when they uh, returned, though, Pat, the, the key factor was supposedly they had been flipped. Yes. So, so they were becoming spies and agents for the. Taliban or the Hezbollah, right. whoever held them. Right. So when they came back, they were really working for their adversaries, not for the United States. Yeah. Well, I won't give away the ending of uh, the eighth uh, season, but uh, it was something that we enjoyed for uh, for a number of years. Oh, yeah. We skipped a few years and had to uh, resubscribe to Showtime and, and binge over the last few weeks, just in time to catch the the live uh, Homeland final episode. So uh, so let's turn to the movies. Uh, Dick, we uh, we have a, the topic of uh, the Wolf Warriors, and uh, you do you want to? You're you're the diplomat here. You can probably best describe what's going on in the Foreign Ministry of of China and what and these uh, uh, young young diplomats. Yeah, these are these are younger diplomats that are coming in armed with the skills of the social media. Um, kind of one of my favorite expressions about you know what is a diplomat, uh, and it kind of takes a little bit to think about it. A diplomat is basically someone who never gives offense inadvertently. So you can tell the other guys that they're SOBs, but you have to plan <laughs> to do it, right? And it has to be part of a strategic way of, of, of getting and getting done this. So sure. there's this young man named Zhao Lijian, who is the spokesperson for the China's foreign ministry, and he is kind of a global media star. Yep. Uh, he was a junior diplomat in Islamabad, and, and he got himself a Twitter account there, and he started posting things. And a lot of that was not the kind of typical diplomatic, never say anything bad about the other guys or, or the host country that you happen to be in. So he got promoted, and he's become an indispensable part of that new age diplomatic arsenal, misdirection, misinformation, and social media aggression. 
So he's got thousands of Twitter followers along the way and, and was promoted. And these guys who are like him and conducting diplomacy in that way are now known as the Wolf Warriors, which is that, as you say, the series of movies made in China that extol the virtues of the warriors who are going to go take on the bad guys, usually the Western bad guys. So um, how the old fellows feel about all this is, is uh, not clear, but it basically, I think China likes to have campaigns. And this sort of campaign is the four confidences. So China has a chosen path. It has a political system. It has guiding theories and Chinese culture. Those four things will lead to China out into the world and, and will underpin what their diplomacy is going to be. Now, a lot of the older Chinese diplomats are appalled by the approach of the new guys, but uh, they're not the audience. So he's got a following at home and he's got a following overseas. And it's kind of a unique thing in the world of diplomacy. Right, and it's uh, emblematic of uh, a lot of the pushback that we've seen from China over the pandemic uh, issue and uh, trade and, and uh, the South China Sea. Uh, we talked last week about uh, China um, offering an administrative designation for areas of the South China Sea, which uh, Vietnam uh, was irked by. But uh, this week in the news, uh, there was an example of the pushback. Uh, China uh, was uh, being called to account by the European Union in a report they were putting out on the pandemic. And uh, right. the, the report originally, the draft of the report originally said, quote, China has continued to run a global disinformation campaign to deflect blame for the outbreak of the pandemic and to improve its international image. Uh, well, China got wind of, uh, of that uh, report and the, in the initial draft uh, contacted some uh, people in the European Union. And, and uh, interestingly, uh, that language was removed from the, the final report. Well, China's going to have, it's, it's going to be an interesting evolution because with COVID and the impact on the economy, China's economy was, was smacked big. So the Belt and Road Initiatives, all a lot of China's activities outside the borders of China, uh, I think they're going to be getting a second look. I mean, China was buying agricultural land in South America so that it can raise its own soybeans and ship them directly back to China. All sorts of things like that are now kind of going to be in a turmoil and a flux and it's not clear how much sort of external projection China is going to keep up given what's going on in the world at the present time. Well, moving on to our uh, last topic, this uh, this is a little more fun than some things that uh, we get to talk about here, but it's uh, derived from all of us uh, staying at home, and I, I think you're going to uh, show us uh, your contribution to the art world uh, staying at home. <laughs> Late, you think on, so, huh? So we, we, can, we can promise that to uh, those who have stuck around uh, to topic five. Stick around to the very end. Ambassador Bowers is going to show you his ho his home art, uh, but we're, we're turning to Russia now, and uh, that, that seems to be the origin point for a new fad of uh, combining uh, contemporary images and constructions uh, to resemble famous artworks. And this started as a, a Facebook group, and, and we're going to go through uh, some of these images here, but uh, 
Uh, Dick, uh, your your Russian is better than mine. What's that uh, Facebook page? Izo Izoliatsia. There you go. It's a combination of uh, isolation and visual arts. So they put it together, and so if we're if we're stuck uh, and isolated, at least we can be creative. And so here's the uh, here's story. the Facebook page. You can you can yeah. see the Cyrillic and uh, and usually uh, you can hit a translate button on there, and it will put it in English. I think. Yeah. So not, uh, check out Facebook, slides. but but this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. The the quality of some of these recreations. Um, is, is simply stunning, and you can see the, the Facebook motif there. Uh, the uh, the URL is at the bottom of all these slides. We're gonna go through a couple of these, uh, but uh, uh, but Dick, I, I don't know about you, but this this is a lot of work. Yeah, and I think, you know, just uh, looking at some of those, uh, it's in all kinds of different media. So, you know, some are just photos that mimic a classic pic uh, picture, Right, people modeling artwork. There's, there's also uh, statues. There's, you know, Ivan the Terrible there, and <laughs> got uh, real models that are, you know, looking like the picture. Um, there's one I saw that uh, you don't have in your collection, but basically it's, it's a, it's Mona Lisa, and Mona Lisa's hair is parted in the middle. And you can see her gray roots because she's been isolated and has not been able to get her hair done. So, you know, but all of these. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, some of these are, are not um, photographs or uh, recreated uh, paintings, but uh, are 3D uh, dioramas and, and uh, multimedia constructions. I, I kind of like the... Uh, the puppy coming out of the, the shell there. Yeah, the, uh, rather than the Venus. Birth of Venus, Milo. yeah. Uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I highly recommend taking a look at that Facebook page. Um, <laughs> Those two little cherubs out there, they, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, it, and, and uh, all it took was throwing two kids in a bathtub and, and what, a, what a recreation that is there. Yeah. Uh, but as you can see uh, from the, uh, the model on, on the left, um, a lot went into uh, mimicking the, the original artwork. And uh, this isn't uh, solely on uh, this website, but it's uh, it's spread around the world to uh, museum sites and, and others, and we'll have a link to uh, an article. But uh, here, here you go, uh, Dick. This uh, the scream, huh, uh, Mr. Munch? Yeah, the scream. And then we we've got this fellow who uh, I don't know what kind of box that is, but it's <laughs> strategically placed so that we can keep the show um, PG thirteen. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there are more and more on the website, right? So, oh, you know, yeah, this is this is the tip for the iceberg. And this uh, is not all Russians. I mean, I know this is taken off and other Europeans have been doing things. But I mean, right. There, start you, there's there's sites the through, States. yep, there's sites in uh, Ukraine and, and Sweden and Denmark. Uh, but you can also join uh, this group if you have something to offer. Uh, but um, as, as I mentioned, there are other websites, uh, and I uh, suggest you uh, check the New York Times. You can uh, search for Facebook art parodies on the New York Times website, or you can uh, quickly copy down that uh, that link there and uh, go back to the original Facebook.com page. And, and, and in a different vein, most of the great museums of the world have now kind of opened 
opened up their collections visually online. Yeah. So you can go to the Louvre and watch it from the, your TV at home yeah. or to Moscow or to the New York Museum of Art. I mean, whatever you want. Yeah, I, all I think the stay at home movement around the world has uh, opened up a lot of uh, digital resources. Exactly. Uh, as, you, as you suggest, uh, there are a lot of people putting uh, music and uh, literature and artwork, <laughs> uh, photography. Oh. Yeah. Some so, of which is uh, parodies uh, and, uh, on American political leadership. Let me put it that way, I guess. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there. All right. Well, Dick, uh, that's that's our news review. We've another 40 minutes almost, well, I guess. We, we, could, uh, we could stick around a little me, longer. I don't see any questions in the queue. Um, you know, we, we always encourage questions, you know, and if anybody has one, we'll, we'll be here another minute or two as one we... Uh, these, one of these days, if we, if we run out of something to talk about, uh, one of the fascinating things that is going to be evolving in the future is foreign policy in outer space. Yeah. I mean, what is the law of, of outer space? Who, who has the right to do what where? And I was struck that it's been 30 years, three days ago, I think, was the 30th anniversary of the Hubble telescope. Wow. And it's still going on. And, and if you go to the website, just Google Hubble, Hubble photos, yeah, it's it will incredible. blow your mind. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. So, you know, the, the irony there is when it was first launched, you may recall, uh, Dick, that uh, it was uh, thought to be a lemon. There were problems with some of yeah. the lenses yeah. and they had to send the space shuttle up to do some repair work. And they did it. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they did a fantastic job and it's, uh, it's been a magnificent contribution to science and understanding. And it's still, uh, and it's still going. So it's yeah. in low earth orbit out there, but it you know, doesn't get the particles. And so it's pictures are absolutely incredibly stunning. Right, so. yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Dick, one, one last slide here, and, and um, well, uh, um, we do have a question from, from Campbell Lehman. Uh, moon had not been seen at three important events in North Korea. What were the events? Um, so, well, I, I know that the first one was the 15th of April. Uh, I think I... I know of two. I, did you say three? Dick? I think I did. And I think two is the correct answer. Yeah, I think two is the correct answer. And they were the uh, the Founders Day, the birthday of uh, Kim Jong-un's grandfather, Kim Il-sung, uh, on the 15th of April. And then on the 25th, just the other day, was Army Day. And both of these occasions are when you deal. see those massive parades right. in Pyongyang uh, with the... the uh, Everyone in the colorful costumes uh, doing uh, the, the displays. The military goose stepping like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible yeah, formations. I've, I've never seen any any military parades like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we we almost had a military parade in, in the U.S. last year. <laughs> Apparently, the tanks were too heavy to go down uh, Constitution Avenue. So they pulled the plug on that. And, I, and we had what, fireworks at the 4th of July instead. So, so Campbell, good question. Um, I'm glad you're interested in what's happening in Korea. We didn't really uh, look at what the implications were of a succession. It, you know, it's it's a dangerous place. Um, we've we've tried diplomacy. President uh, Trump has met with uh, Kim Jong Un uh, on uh, two formal occasions. Um, 
and and one informal occasion when he was at the DMZ, they shook hands and stepped over onto each other's side of the the border, uh, not our side, but the South Korean side of of the 38th parallel at the. I, I don't think he came over, did he? Trump Trump went over to North Korea, but I, I don't think Kim Jong Un stepped over to the south. We'd have to roll back the video, but, uh, but I, he he may have he I he, I think um step across, but uh, okay. that's a good question. We'll have to research that. <laughs> But you know, if if you look at what's going on, there there have not been any uh, concrete um, steps as a result of the summits that we had in terms of uh, denuclearization, which was the objective uh, for the summits. So and the North Korean peninsula down from the rocket preparations and all those kinds of things. Right. Right. Nothing's you changed. Know, we, we know they've tested uh, successfully launched uh, intercontinental <laughs> ballistic missiles. Uh, we know they have been working on nuclear weapons. They've tested nuclear weapons. Uh, they've tested a device which uh, they claim was a hydrogen bomb, uh, which uh, did have a yield significantly higher than uh, the previous tests. So they uh, they could conceivably have a workable ICBM with a hydrogen bomb uh, warhead that uh, that could reach uh, the United States. Of course. Uh, you know, our, our friends in the region have been under the umbrella of the threat from North Korea uh, for some time. So our allies in Japan and South Korea know what it is to be uh, in that tough neighborhood. Well, the whole the whole region and Japan, I mean, they, 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 what, Philippines, all of those countries are, are very reachable by what the North Koreans now have. Right, arm. and, and uh, a major part of the American footprint in uh, the Western Pacific is the island of Guam, uh, an American territory. Uh, we have a large number of uh, forces stationed there, and uh, that's well within the range of uh, rocketry from, from North right. Korea. So what happens in North Korea in terms of leadership? Um, you know, whether Kim Jong-un returns uh, to the lime and, and seen in public again uh, will have an impact on U.S. Uh, policy in the Western Pacific. Uh, Dick, I'm going to uh, flash up the, uh, the final slide here, there being uh, no more questions in the queue. Uh, thanks, Campbell, for, for that and, and for uh, your interest in what we're doing here in the, uh, the webinar is the, series. Is the final slide one I'm going to be happy with? Uh, well, this is... <laughs> <laughs> well, so, no, while I show the slide, you can prepare. Uh, so uh, oh, okay. hold off on your your display of uh, uh, of your, your personal wow. artwork. Oh, oh, there you go. Uh, okay. So so here's the uh, the final slide, Dick. It's That's uh, fine. basically advertising what we're doing here with the webinars. We have uh, tonight, Global Nashville with Carl Dean. We'll be talking to Sean Henry of the uh, Nashville Predators. And uh, next uh, Tuesday, you're going to be out. So I have to find a guest host, uh, a co-host. Uh, to do the Global Engagement News I Review suggest at 2 p.m. Marietta Velikova. Well, she she uh, uh, has expressed an interest in doing that, so she may well be uh, the, your uh, your fill-in uh, co-host. She may she may wind up you know taking the show uh, uh, over from you if you you know you're out too long. <laughs> and then uh, next uh, Tuesday in the evening, we'll have a a global dialogue show. International Speakers Program, and I'll be talking with John Scanapieco and Jeremy Goldcorn about uh, U.S. relations uh, with China in the pandemic age. And last week and this week, uh, that was a, a topic we covered here. But uh, John Scanapieco from Baker Donaldson uh, is yeah. an expert on China, 
Uh, he's an attorney uh, and knows uh, great things about China. Jeremy Goldcorn uh, is a editor of a newsletter and co-host a podcast on China. He lived for uh, at least 15, 20 years, I think, uh, in, uh, in China. So he's uh, an expert on the ground and uh, knows all things China. So that's going to be a great show next Tuesday, May 5th, 7 p.m. Global Dialogue. And uh, we already have posted the links on our website, tnwac.org, uh, to register for, for those webinars. So uh, take a look at those and also look at our archives on youtube.com slash tnwac for previous shows, uh, both the global uh, engagement that Dick and I do and um, the uh, Global National with Carl Dean. Uh, also take a look at our website, tnwac.org, uh, to subscribe to our newsletter and to become a member. Okay, uh, Dick, that's it for slides. You got uh, your last piece of artwork My ready to go? My last piece of artwork is ready to go. Okay, so, let's have it. Are you ready? You? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, this is Mr. Dr. Fauci saying, I want you to stay home. <laughs> I saw that. I had to buy it. So I'm sorry. I well done, Ambassador. That's, uh, that's our PSA for the day. And uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for Go to that website uh, and become a member of Tennessee Rural Affairs Council. We need your support. Yes, sir, we do. Uh, All right, Pat. Dick, thanks, uh, thanks again for another great uh, rendition of the news. Thank you very much, uh, sir, for your leadership in making we, this happen. You bet. We hope that everyone is uh, uh, a little wiser as to what's going on in the world, and uh, we hope that you'll be back next week for a global engagement from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye.